you brothers and sisters in Christ of First Lutheran Church and beyond, you are named. You are named in the scriptures, both the New and the Old Testament. For God said to Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant or promise to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Now in faith, you are that offspring, not on account of your DNA, but on account of the covenant, this promise that God is giving you today, that Jesus Christ, who is the seed, the primary offspring, is not only the Messiah, but he is your Messiah, as Peter confessed. And this means something in particular. It means that Jesus must suffer the cross. He must die and three days later be raised again. And as much as you may dislike this kind of Messiah, it doesn't sound like success. As Peter and the disciples did not like this Messiah, they did not want his death and resurrection. Jesus has accomplished it for your sake. He's accomplished it for you. And so I may share this word with you now, that your sins are forgiven. You are freed. You are made perfect in Christ, regardless of your earthly estate right now, regardless of how you feel today, regardless of your health or your status, Christ redeems you. So grace and peace from God our Father and His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, be yours. And on account of the Holy Spirit, these are yours. Amen. Luther says that when you have Christ, you have all the things. And when I, when I read this recently, I was surprised that Luther knew somewhat of the vernacular in English of our day. You have all the things. Well, what are all the things? They are everything. Brenda talked about, uh, well, silver, gold, uh, money, all the things we might want, but all the things that Luther is talking about are beyond that. They are forgiveness of sin, life and salvation, things that are good for you today and throughout eternity. They are yours now in Christ. They are yours when Christ is your Messiah. Yet how quickly we forget this incredible trove of richness given to you in your baptism and in the preached word and in a little bit in the Lord's Supper. These are given to you, but how quickly we forget. For now you have all the things. Peter seemed to have this in one moment and forget it in the next too. As we heard in the verses preceding our gospel, Jesus asked the disciples, who do the people say that I am? And they had various answers. John the Baptist come back to life. Maybe Elijah, maybe the prophets. But then Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah. And in Mark, Jesus does not give an affirmation other than this. He says, don't tell anyone about this. You're right, but don't tell anyone, not yet. Well, then our gospel reading begins, and Jesus starts to tell them what this means for him to be their Messiah. That as the Son of Man, he must undergo suffering, rejection, be killed, and after three days rise again. This is what it means to be the Messiah. And to this, Peter, who just hit the nail on the head, swings and misses. A big whiff this time for Peter. Or maybe in our March Madness, uh, in our March Madness theme, he shoots the free throw and completely misses the rim. 
Kind of embarrassing for Peter, we might think. He doesn't just say, well, Jesus, I'm not sure that's correct. He doesn't just say, we have a difference of opinion. He rebukes Jesus, but then Jesus turns around and doesn't just say, well, you might be a little off, Peter. He rebukes him with the greatest rebuke. He says, get behind me, Satan. For you have your mind on things of the flesh, on earthly things, not on the things of God. And there's no greater rebuke than to be called Satan by the Messiah. So it goes for Peter that a confession of faith is immediately followed by a temptation by Satan. And what a noble temptation it was, at least sounded like, to protect Jesus, to keep him from the cross, to keep him from the very act that will take Peter's sin and your sin away. Satan would have loved this, by the way, and this is always Satan's aim, to keep us so occupied with the needs and wants of our own flesh, our own daily bread, that we make them our gods and that we forget the trust that God has given us in faith. So it goes for Peter and so it goes for you. What are the fleshly things that you are occupied by these days? Money, politics, relationships, family? Well, all of them are important. No one can deny this. All of them gifts of God, in fact. All of them have their place. You are tempted some days to make them first in your life, and in fact, you do. And that is your sin. But now, rather than try to tempt your will to change, Christ comes as your Messiah to die and be raised so that your sin may become his. And it has. And the Holy Spirit gives you faith now to trust this word. Even when, like Peter, every fiber in your being seems to want the opposite. It is on account of this sin that Christ comes to you in the first place to fulfill the promise he gave to Abraham way back in Genesis. And we heard a little bit of this story this morning as well. Even in the church, we are tempted to turn faith into our work. If only we could muster it up enough on our own. Or we hear Jesus saying that we should take up our cross and we are tempted to think that we could make this our own project of self-improvement. But that's not how the cross operates, nor faith. They are given to you apart from your mustering, apart from your will, apart from everything else, as much as we hear this everywhere. Paul writes, for this reason, it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants. And who are those descendants? Well, lest you start to worry that your name is not on the list, Paul says, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. So that means you. You are on that list as you hear this word. But what does this accomplish? Well, I can remember the song, learning it in the First Lutheran Church of the North, as I should call it now, up in Fargo, where I grew up. The song, Father Abraham, we sang as kids, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. And then we did a little dance, actually. And I can, uh, we, we could have been dancing to the prelude, right hand, left hand, right foot, left foot. And then we turned around. 
Is this what it meant to be sons of Abraham? Daughters of Abraham? What good is this for us? Well, Paul continues. He says, God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And then he talks about Abraham, who Paul says was as good as dead at 99 years old, yet he was given the promise of a child that had not yet come. Paul says, hoping against hope, he believed that faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. And so now God brings new life to you as well. Not necessarily in the form of a child, but in the form of a Messiah, of a Savior. Perhaps you are looking at long odds, living in fear and anxiety this day, worried about what will come of your job, of your family, perhaps your country or your life. Well, know now that in the midst of those fears, Christ brings to you new life and his perfection apart from your will. Peter writes, now the words reckoned to him were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us, Paul says, who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead for our forgiveness and for our resurrection. This was done for you so that you can be free. My brother and sister-in-law and their family are visiting us this weekend and what a joy it is for the cousins to play together. And even the dogs now, uh, Gus and Harley, get to run around in the backyard and wrestle and have fun. And we grown-ups get to catch up as well. And it is a gift just to be together. It is a gift to be sure. While the kids were playing yesterday, I noticed that one of our kids has pants that are getting a little short. Now, this happens, of course, with growing kids. It is a gift in itself to be able to observe this. Pants that fit perfectly in the fall, well, come February, they're getting a little short up around the ankles. They seem to shrink. But I sat there with my brother observing this with joy. What a joy it was to see that. And that this particular child did not seem to care in the least about these pants. He was free from his worry, running around quite happy, this is one of the gifts of childhood. Now, this freedom doesn't seem to stick around forever for kids, does it? Kids get old and more self-aware. Actually, we even have to teach this to our kids. But this freedom seems to disappear, too. And I was just being reminded of that when I wore one of my sport coats and my family said, mm, looking a little tattered around the bottom, now, this is my favorite sport coat, uh, but the, the recommendation was you might want to retire that one. We worry about these things. The freedom seems to disappear, and often for good reason, I suppose, in this life. But I want you to know now that you have a Messiah who doesn't let you sit and keep existing in this worry, who frees you to be a child of God, running around, unfazed by short pants, or even worse, sin, unfazed by death, unfazed by the devil. You are freed now to be a child of God because you have a Messiah who is Christ Jesus, our Lord, who died and was raised. So that as you die, you will be raised too. Regardless of your earthly estate right now, regardless of your feelings, your health, your status, 
Christ is your Messiah, and you are God's child, free from sin, death, and the devil. Amen.